She's Nicole. And I'm Erica. And we're the co-conspirators of Women of Color Collaborative, where we're working, playing, and building our way toward healthier, safer, and more affirming spaces for women of color. This is Cool Calm Collaborative. That's a good one. That is a good one. Like the body roll. It was, I mean, I'm pretty sure it's on beat too with our new little song at the beginning. I like it. Okay, girl, how you doing this week? Tired. I'm tired. It's been a lot of moving and shaking. Um our listeners tuned in to last week's episode, which you, if you did not listen to it, please, please go <laughs> bless your eardrums. <laughs> <laughs> and there's been a special request for a part two. I forgot to tell you that, friend. Oh. So that means we have to invest and figure out what these next steps are. But, um, you know, we started a really big program last week. And from there, I actually was facilitating programming from my phone while I was walking through the airport. Yes, you were. <laughs> On my way out of town Friday morning and then got off the plane Monday morning, came home and then went back to summer camp this morning. So I No, 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 no. You came home from the airport, went back home, picked up the summer camp participant, aka talking about, um, I'm gonna be getting off a plane, so I might be a little late and you arrived at nine oh one when you're supposed to be there at nine black women are magic okay so i'm tired i'm tired but i am energized in some of the best ways because i got to see my family which i'll talk about when we get to our favorite thing this week yeah how you doing girl um i'm feeling good um I know we talk a lot about my showers because I'm enjoying them a lot these days. Um, I'm not enjoying how I take a shower before I leave. And about two hours after I get to a place, I smell like I need another shower. So, you know, that's the kind of day I'm having today. But I think I'm doing pretty good. Um, yeah. This is good. My body feels good today. You know, I don't have a headache right now. You look good. I got to see you in a black dress today. Yes. Yeah, it is laundry day. <laughs> I'm not saying that that's, I mean, this is my, one of my most comfortable dresses, but I wanted to wear something else and uh, couldn't because I don't know where it is, which means it's in one of these laundry baskets. <laughs> so, yeah. Real life. So what was your favorite thing this week? My favorite thing this week, um, was still is actually is that Black Parade song that Beyonce dropped on Juneteenth. Um, of all the celebrities in the world that I'm aware of or whatever, I think that I am most proud of Beyonce's growth, you know? For those of you who don't know me, um, I went through a phase right before 4 came out where I was like, oh my gosh, do I hate Beyonce? Because the I Am Sasha Fierce era did not do it for me. And like, I, 
because I'm a massive nerd when it comes to data and stuff like this. Like I went through and did like what I called my Beyonce self-study. So I listened to all Beyonce songs over and over again, kind of getting her lyrics all in my brain and then looking up various stats on the album and stuff. So I'm Sasha Fierce was released um, like five or six different times with only one or two songs added each time. And it was just like, so she really just won our money. <laughs> like this is, <laughs> this is not for me. It's not for anything but money. And it just didn't feel good. It felt really icky. So when she came back with four, I was like, okay. Cause remember that came with the documentary, the life's but a dream. And I was like, okay, so maybe she does really care about music. And ever since then, she also started singing different like more I don't even know if that's if that's the right word but it's like her voice was fuller for four than it had been for I'm Sasha Fierce but much less um much less pop sounding and more R&B sounding even on the pop songs does that make sense and since then it seems like she has grown com more comfortable with herself and she's releasing more songs reflecting that so she's a grown woman she can do whatever she wants <laughs> And like from there, it just went right to the top. So we thought that, you know, the Coachella performance was going to be peak Beyonce's blackness. And she said, hold on, Juneteenth is the worst year ever. I'm going to drop this song. And then I'm going to drop my Black Parade with all this whole list of Black businesses on it. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy with it. I'm very proud of it. It's like I made it, <laughs> even though I didn't. But I like it a lot. It's beautiful, and I appreciate my friends like you, who are nerds in the best ways, who do things like, no, you need to look at the lyrics Why you listen to the song, because that is what my friend Nicole did to me this week. <laughs> because, I mean, for the first day, every time I listened to it, I heard something different. Um, and, and what's weird, because, of course, we talk about living in a simulation all the time. It's like um, I made the connection when we were on our California trip that I was having a lot of water moments and my whole wardrobe was yellow. You know, it was yellow and brownish, but brown leaning towards yellow, you know. And when she talked, to, talked about having on her gold chain with her ocean energy, I was like, oh, are we all having this moment together? You know, it made me feel, and I didn't have a lot of these moments with Beyonce in my 20s, it made me feel like we were growing up together again. Because I will say, you know, Destiny's Child really felt like we were coming up together and then we separated. So, yeah. I don't know if y'all can tell, but I was an only child for nine years. <laughs> so, <laughs> my siblings when I was a kid was like celebrities and musicians. So, I feel like I, I kind of see my life in parallel to a lot of people who've been around for a really long time. So, to see that we're on the same page again or not even just now in 2020 but um, starting with force and then like peaking with I can't even say peaking because when Beyonce came out when the self-titled album came out like rocket let me sit this ass on you like that's me <laughs> like drunken love is me then we got to live in that it's like Beyonce has been me since then and I appreciate it so it's funny that you said we were together and then we like broke up for a little while and in my head, sort of jokingly, I was thinking, yeah, it's like that friend you went to middle school with, but then you ain't fuck with for a little while. And then legitimately, we did go to middle school with Destiny's Child. Like, that is when their music was out. And yeah. then I, and people, I have like, I don't 
own, I think I own one Beyonce out, like actual physical CD of hers. And when people would ask me why, I didn't really have a great reason other than I had Destiny Child's albums because, you know, that's- Oh, they my homegirls. Right? Yeah. But high school, college, I, I can't really recall loving Beyonce enough. It, she was cool to dance to at the club, but- Yeah. Um, it wasn't until quite literally like later in my, well, maybe mid twenties ish. Right. When it was like, Oh, okay. I see myself reflected in her music. Mm -hmm. Um, again, both from a growth and maturity standpoint for her, but also for myself. And that was, that's been fun. Um, (laughs) I don't want to plug my blog because I don't think it's in a place that people can read it anymore. Like, I think it's gone, actually. But when I was writing the Kobe thinking, I wrote about, you know, my my feelings about Beyonce. And I said that liking Beyonce around the I Am Sasha Fierce time was like playing dress up, like you were a child pretending to be grown. And it felt like, like everything on there just sounded, it was it was too pop. Like that, that's essentially what it all boils down to. But it, it, it wasn't a real thing. You know, it didn't feel like a real, movement oh, or wow. anything your brain so much is because it'd be already thinking about stuff that i'd be feeling because i only play um sasha fears when i was literally getting dressed up oh <laughs> yep <laughs> yeah it was the i'm getting ready to go to the club and probably the i'm getting ready to go to the club when i probably really didn't want to go it wasn't like the place i was choosing but it's like okay girls night and now this we're about to do um and or on my way to happy hour somewhere right like it was literally me getting myself into a mindset playing dress up yeah and now it's just a whole different mood like i'm pretty sure that I was blasting something with Beyonce on it when I pulled into the program this morning. <laughs> I don't even know. It, and it might not even been this, because, you know, even on the Everything is Love, that Black Effect song goes hard because I'm good on every MLK Boulevard. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> so it's just, yeah, I, I feel really good about having Beyonce on the, the team of artists I can blast like that when I'm feeling the most myself yep so what 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 about you my favorite thing this week has been um visiting the d so i've talked about my hometown um a couple times on the podcast has come up and we had a big family gathering scheduled for this weekend um unfortunately Um, We lost a very young member of our family earlier this year. He um, died in a car accident. He was 18. And um, his birthday was Saturday. And my grandmother, my late grandmother, my mama, her birthday was also Saturday. And then Father's Day was a Sunday. And so the the stars all aligned where it made sense for our family to gather um, my family from Detroit and, and all of our family has sort of migrated um, up in the New York area also. So everybody from New York was coming to um, Detroit and we we're all gathered there and then COVID closed outside. So everybody had to cancel, but I already had my plane ticket. 
and um, <laughs> so we going. Mm-hmm. So I went to the D, which one I'm very glad I didn't talk myself out of it because as I started today's podcast, I have been exhausted. Like I'm just tired, and um, I spent some time in emergency room last. Wasn't that last week, girl? Yeah, 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 it was. A lot happening. Um, but I did not cancel, and I'm so glad because I got to see my family, and I forgot how much I miss. I forgot how much I miss the city, period. Like, that is a sentence. But I also forgot the feeling of community that I talk about. And it's sort of that same disillusion that I felt around the like black men protecting me in the last episode that I was sort of working through. Um, I was able to identify really young for myself that community mattered, right? Like I talked about growing up literally on our block within a two block radius. I can name 10 of the families that lived on that block. And I mean families very intentionally because most of, in a lot of those cases, including my family, there were there was a nuclear family that lived on the block and then at least one of their children bought a home, right? Or moved into a house that was probably owned by another neighbor that also was on that same block. And so when I say community, it was not only um, socially, but it was also in proximity, right? To one another. Um, my auntie lives five minutes away from my grandparents, right? Like just the way community feels there. And I I do believe that as much as I was holding on to that ideal, I'd forgotten the feeling of it. Like I forgot it actualized and I needed that. Like that was absolutely my favorite thing. Absolutely my favorite thing. I also, it was also a reminder of how social the the houses were that I grew up in. My, I, I was in the car with my aunt when I arrived from the airport and y'all I'm not kidding she invited 10 different people over to the house and I felt my anxiety going up and then I remember number one girl this ain't your house so you can't be uninvited people and number two how often do you come to Detroit to see your people so so what if you're gonna be tired so what if that means it's gonna be loud which is all like that's Erica, right? Like that's what's happening in my brain. And then I quickly realized that I didn't care, nor did anybody care about that when my ass was little. You know what I'm saying? Like it wasn't like my grandparents had a cutoff for how many folks were going to come in that door or my auntie or my uncle. And so um, it was a good reminder that you get, like we get to still enjoy each other. What I felt from my aunt and what I felt from my dad um, which feeling anything from him is already interesting. The fact that he was able to articulate this, you know, it was, it was a moment, you know, he, they miss being out. They miss being social. These are the people who have bowling leagues, right? They do their own bingo night. They hosted cabarets. Like my family, our people are just social, which we'll get to in a little bit. Um, so you add a COVID on that, right? For a people who, literally grill in the front yard so that folks can just come and sit and gather and hover on a Tuesday. Like it does not matter. Um, And this pandemic has been hard in a different way for urban communities that I don't think anyone's acknowledged, at least not in conversations that I've been a part of. And so it was nice to, to be reminded of the joy that comes from just being around people. We had nothing to do. We have anything to do play dominoes, play cards, sit. My auntie <laughs> literally cussed out her best friend for trying to leave the house. 
before dinner was done and my great aunt who brought me over a pot of you know she made me something special so she brought me over the pot and then she wanted to go back home because she's I think my auntie's like knocking on 80 and she just want to be at her house like that's just the reality my aunt <laughs> made her sit down and essentially got her drunk enough where she forgot that she didn't want she wanted to go home and then, okay so I asked Erica um after she said she landed or whatever and then a couple hours later maybe I said so you good you settled you, you there and she said uh, no and I probably will never be because I landed two hours ago and I've been to four different places and I was like yep yes that's exactly what that's like I I, I get it which you know goes into what I know is your next question because um you know there gentlemen friends you know want to check i appreciate and the you know call me later there's no calling you later when i'm visiting my family for 48 ish 36 however many hours um you were not exaggerating when you text me i counted we had been to four different places and still not gone home nor to our side of town we weren't even on the west side yet we weren't even on the west side <laughs> You weren't even on the way. <laughs> no. No. I take it back. We drove to the west side, which is so Detroit. We drove to the west side because my auntie had too much cash in her purse, and she did not want to carry that money around with her all day. So we did go to her house, drop off my suitcase. I put on a skirt from the pants I had on, and then we went back to the other side of town and made our way back west. Welcome to the D. I've never been to Detroit um, because I'm from California and they don't say nice things about Detroit. So we'll talk about it. Don't worry. Yep. 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 So speaking of what I'm going to ask next, <laughs> the question of the week is what is the shortest relationship you've ever been in? Um, and I can't really remember all of the relationships I've been in, you know? And also, my response is not as important as your response. So, <laughs> I'm gonna just say I've been in lots of relationships and now I'm married. So, Erica. <laughs> Who did not answer the question at all? <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, I'm kidding. I honestly don't know. Um, because... Um, as Michelle mentions about my twenties, like I had a like <laughs> I had a lot of fun, and I wouldn't say that I was in any like I can say how many long relationships I've had, um, but if we're talking like this is my man, or I think I can see myself with him, I mean, I, literally, my shortest relationship is probably like a year long. Um, now, we're talking about situationships, like just having somebody on deck for after the club. No, but yeah. So I'm, I'm, I think that the problem with my response is that I'm not a relationship person, mm. um, or was not a relationship person until I was in the relationship. You know. So before this one, there might have been two that were like real relationships, not counting the situationship I was in when I met my husband. You know. So, um, again. This question is specifically for Erica. <laughs> so five days, and here's how it happened. <laughs> yep. 
friend. What happened? Oh, wait, 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 wait. It is important when you say five days <clears throat> that you also say five days during this pandemic. You are correct. Five days during this pandemic is my official answer. Okay. Here's how it happened. So when the world started to close and I saw the gates, right? I saw the gates. I made a mad dash. Yeah, I ain't even gonna lie. I made a mad dash. I actually got flewed out and went to visit somebody <laughs> in, in Illinois. Um, that was cool, but I knew that wasn't, it, it did not have enough potential to hold down this pandemic, right? Like I, even in, what month was this? March? It had to Maybe. be It Maybe. was after I got back from California. Yeah. After I went to Arizona with my mom. So yeah, it had to have been early March. I think I, I feel like March 16th is floating in my head. It's some time that I was away. Okay. So outside was starting to close. We really didn't know how bad it was getting. Um, but I could tell by the panic of the white people that when <laughs> that this was not, <laughs> this, this was going to be bad, y'all. We had a whole situation in front of us. Um, and, and to fill the listeners in, things that we know to be true. Um, I, pleasure is very important to me. I am a pleasure consultant. Also, <laughs> I just like being next to warm bodies. So I'm there, I'm not ashamed to acknowledge that um, it is always consensual and everyone knows what's happening. I, I, I will say, as much as I wasn't a relationship person when I was dating, if this pandemic happened in my 20s, I definitely would have been whoever I was dating at the time, like, you coming over for two weeks, right? Like, and then we'll swap or what, like, I would be, I would be in a relationship because I also do, I like, <laughs> this is gonna sound awful. I like having access to the things I want, right? Um, so I would definitely need to have access to a man I know is not, I, I would need to know that he was social distancing and doing all the things I was doing. So he would just have to come be at my house with me or vice versa or something like that. So a pandemic could turn you into a relationship person real quick. Real quick. And, and thus the topic at hand, right? Like how you get caught up in COVID. Um, so the Illinois situation did not work out. However, what it did remind me of is what resources I had available to me, including online dating. So for those of you who are bored at home and have nothing better to do, um, Facebook does have a dating app, low risk, low risk. I know sis, you ain't even low risk. Um, the beautiful thing about, and, and there's a, okay. So listen, you, know, you can find out whatever you want to about anybody else. I am not a, let me go and find somebody's life story type of person, but I keep those people in my pocket who will. Her name is Nicole. <laughs> And I have Madeline, those two, mm -hmm. I have my life. And at Wiener, like it depends. I'm just giving out people's names, but they know who they are in my world. <laughs> yeah. What I need to tea and what kind of tea it is. Or we mm -hmm. all have a role to play in this. Um, also, I don't have a, let me say this. My circle is such that should somebody be connected to somebody in my circle, I trust that I can get the right information, right? Without something feeling messy. Because that's just how I navigate in life. 
So some of the drawbacks I've been hearing from individuals about Facebook dating is because you can connect the dots very easily, right? So it can get messy if you run in messy circles or you do messy stuff and or if you just attract messy people. I try not to do any of those things. Um, so Facebook dating has actually been a really easy fun, low risk. I like to flirt. We talked about this on other episodes. So even if it's a good conversation, I, I enjoy it. I enjoy interacting with men, just being honest. So there was a particular um, match on Facebook dating and I was intrigued with him from the beginning. However, I believe, you know, that hovering in that time right before COVID and sort of starting COVID, um, I was I was trying to figure out who I was going to build this roster with. And he wasn't making the cut. You know, he we just had not engaged enough. So what that meant was B team meets on Thursdays and I'm only here. <laughs> so we we just the, the interaction wasn't there. He hit me up again. And I was like, oh, I thought, just give me a call. And he was like, I have been calling you. <laughs> you have not been responding. So that was enough for me to go, okay, maybe I need to do a little bit better here. And I appreciate his resilience. Like, I, I don't know. I, I was, it was whatever. Fast forward, I drive myself um, three hours to go see somebody's son. Y'all, we was deep. We was deep in COVID. Okay, you know Illinois. Because that was that was probably May. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Although I feel like I could be telling on myself this time. It don't matter. It's fine. I'm grown. What? What be I'm grown? Saying? I was gonna say, is you married? I am not. I am not. So I drove three hours. Um, met this man, and I will say. Um, I'm not a list woman, right? But I do pay attention. I pay attention to my own patterns. And I also am big on manifestations, right? So if I put something out in the universe, I do believe that those desires that you, you know, put out there, the, the universe will conspire in your favor. And I was like, it's a whole lot of favor with this man, y'all. It's a whole lot of favor happening with this man. And it was some red flags. It was the kind of red flags that you don't feel your friends in about because you got a, a spidey sense that they're going to be like, that shit ain't going to work. And you sort of know this shit ain't going to work, but it's, it's a hell of a ride. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's a hell of a ride. Let's, let's see. Um, and although I'm being just a tad facetious, like 0.5% facetious, the other part of this is I have shared with you that I enjoy being my own case study sometimes. And so I will voluntarily test sort of my own ideals or perceptions up against something and someone in a relationship, which sort of kind of sounds terrible now that I say the words out loud for our listeners, but it's true. And Think so how do you know until you do something though, until you examine a thing. I'm with you, Erica. So in this, in his regard, I knew there were some things that I would be testing for myself, but I wanted to just see how far it could go. So it was rocky. I'm not going to lie, y'all. Enjoy talking to the man. Enjoy being with the man. Um, physically, he like made, like brought me pleasure just in seeing him. Like I was physically attracted to him, all of those things. And there was a cultural divide. He is Nigerian. 
and he is Nigerian by way of England. And so somehow in my brain, I determined that that was going to make this a little bit of an easier or better fit than just Nigerian from Nigeria. Y'all know what I'm saying. So Nicole's giving me the face, like it doesn't quite matter, but I added another variable. And so for me, that added variable meant that we can test some different stuff, right? No, nah, girl, no, girl. So what you did was you heard the accent and he was like, oh, I can do this. You're right. <laughs> I was like, it's not just a Nigerian accent. It's a Nigerian accent with some British thrown on top of it. And so it made y'all with five days okay so went to visit um had a good time he actually was graduating with his master's from a local university and so we decided to spend some time together that weekend and celebrate um and he asked like made an official ask which i have not been officially asked to be somebody's girlfriend in a while maybe maybe two three relationships ago which then makes me question how they became a relationship. They didn't. That's what Nicole's here. Okay. So from the official ask was made on a Sunday. <clears throat> no, on a, no, on a Sunday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, y'all Thursday, we talked on the phone. He was supposed to come and visit. No, Wednesday, we talked on the phone. He was supposed to come and visit. We got into it. And it was, it was some, it was some power and control type of stuff, which was the red flag that I knew was there from the beginning. And then Thursday, he thought I was playing when I uninvited him. And I really meant it when I uninvited him because I don't want him in my house. Um, and then we broke up. So for, for those four days, I was, I was smitten with my boo. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we get into it. Yeah. Now, in true COVID and life and nigga fashion, um, he clearly has already hit me back up and was like, "So, in the meantime, can can you just come lay up under me?" And I was like, "I would consider it, but um, he, <laughs> I'm putting all this man business. I told him for him to be a booty, like if you were just going to be a booty call, like you are just going to." feel this very specific role in my life like we are not communicating on a uh, I'm really trying to get to know you in a deeper way um and building intimacy like okay this can be that um you have to step your game up like the sex was good enough because we was trying to be together and that means we have time to like work through some stuff together but if you just come in to to do some layups real quick you got to be warm before you hit the gym bro and I'm, I'm not about that life <laughs> I like the way you put that. Yeah, <laughs> that was real. I'll try. Yeah, I mean, I guess they could bleep out some names. I could leave out some details, maybe. Mm. If you need I to protect your timeline. Because I mean, my mother would say you're single until you're married. So that was my is you is you married? That was my question. <laughs> and I phrased it that way on purpose. I'm, you know, not crazy, but you know, in, in the color purple when she comes back, I is married now. <laughs> so I just flip it around. Is you married? Anywho, yeah, girl, I love that story because it is so Erica. And Erica is such a Virgo, and 
like Erica also does this thing where she makes um she does try to make square pegs fit into round holes so when she sees red flags she kind of ignores them because she's experimenting or whatever this is all great because again she is single so we've had women in our community ask like what am i supposed to do in this pandemic how do i how do i find men what do i do and erica's like well you know like she said get on facebook <laughs> she'd be out here pandemic be damn you know if erica wanted she gonna get it and it's necessary i mean listen take whatever take all the safety precautions that you need to take but i'm all about like i was serious when i said consensual like consent meaning we are having conversations about what this really um looks like because one thing i'm not as reckless and so even the story i shared about seeing um the young men who were fellowshipping as a part of um, their aspirations to be in a um a fraternity right even that encounter, like we have real conversations. I, as much as I am open about my sexuality and being a sensual being, I am just as articulate around my safety and consent and like what the repercussions of our actions really look like. And not just from, you know, catching something or a baby. It's a matter of, okay, who have you been around? Um, I am making plans to see someone this weekend. We are having very real conversations. I just traveled. He is traveling. Like, as, as important as my sensuality and my sexuality and my body is to me, I have to use that level of care as well um, and attention around how we navigate, you know? And I think those make people, those conversations make some people uncomfortable. And that is why we're not able to have real dialogue and or why y'all scared to be out here in these streets because y'all used to asking niggas real questions when the last time he got tested like we seriously and i want to see the papers and if you can't produce them then you need to find an email from the clinic that they sent you the records there's ways to go about this those those are the keys y'all you know all the women who are asking what do i do to find a boot in a pandemic um be honest about your safety and your needs um ask questions don't be scared. Don't be, I was just about to say, relinquish some of this fear, y'all. Like, ah, we can't be walking out here navigating and, and, and expecting something good to come to us when we are operating from a place of fear. Like, that is literally the energy that you are giving off. If somebody say they got somebody they want you to meet, go meet him. Do do the re or her. Do the research. You know, understand what you are what you are looking for. And as it evolves, which is me talking to myself right now, as your desires or needs evolve, be open to that as well. So please follow Erica's advice. Get out there. Get busy. <laughs> um, but for now, can we talk about where we from? Where you from? Who you with? Where you from? Who, who you with? Where you from? Who you with? Where you from? Please. <laughs> so, Erica mentioned um, how good Detroit was to her this weekend. Uh, any chance I get, I'm letting y'all know I'm from Oakland, California. And also, um, just by virtue of the people we are, we built a whole module into our collaborative cohort about in relation to place where we discuss where we live what that means, what's happening in our place, and all of the things. So we want to break it down. Um, we're going to talk about Detroit, maybe a little bit of Oakland. 
some Nashville in there. Maybe a hint of some St. Louis. We're just going to talk about our places. Our places. We're going to talk about where we're from. So as we were talking about, um, you know, Detroit and how it feels, I know you moved from Detroit to Indianapolis because, you know. Your parents divorced. Right. So because your mom moved, you moved with her. And that wasn't necessarily, like, I moved because my mom moved too, but you stayed essentially in the same region. And for me, when we moved, it was complete, like it was a mind fuck, you know, coming from California to Nashville was completely different. And I think what, what came up in my brain as soon as you said, you know, where you were talking about how, how much fun you had and how it reminded you of how you grew up and stuff, it was like you left or at least you came to Nashville as an adult. And so I'm just wondering like I can say what Nashville did for me as a child. Like I can I can say now. I guess it's been twenty years that like I'm from Nashville at this point. As as from Nashville as any gentrifier or transplant can be in twenty twenty, you know. So I can I can say for me there are lots of things I just wouldn't have known about if we never made it down here. Like there's a um, I'm pretty sure that there's a lot of southern rap I would have never got into if I wasn't here in the south. Um, I didn't know anything about black marching bands. You know, the whole concept of being pregnant in high school was very foreign to me <laughs> because it's like, it just wasn't, I didn't see pregnant students in California. Like the, the level of racism here was different. Like, like it was, it was, um, I was coming from a place where I saw people from lots of different races. It wasn't just black people or just white people, but there were, you know, South Asians, there were Asians, there were Africans, Middle Eastern, there every, there's literally everybody from everywhere in the Bay Area. And when I came down here, it was literally, I went to Pearl Cone, where it was a black school with some white people sprinkled in. And it was it was totally different. And I, the first day of school at Pearl's, first time I ever saw a girl with gold teeth. It was probably the first time I ever saw somebody with colored hair in person, you know? And I, I mean, like, the bright red that Faith used to wear in person. Like, I, I just... And it's not to say that these people don't live in the Bay Area. It just wasn't a thing in my life. So I am curious about how coming from the Midwest to the South was, especially since you did it older than me. Hmm. The things you named weren't as, there, there wasn't as big of a variance, right? Um, now, the caveat being, I grew up in the Midwest. And so some of the, some of the same um, things that you just named, the Midwest is known for, right? Like when we think about hair and so like color, fried dilate to the side. I had acrylic nails in middle yep. school. I had acrylic nails in middle school, right? The like you getting, and actually maybe in Indianapolis at the time where we lived in Indianapolis um, was much more suburban than it is now. Um, it has shifted significantly. But within this like city proper of Indianapolis, there was not much difference culturally from Detroit, um, with the exception of, uh, I think really with the perception of proximity to blackness, right? So I went from an all black school, <clears throat> all black everything in Detroit to I think a quarter of our, our school district's population was considered minority of any type in Indianapolis. 
Um, but to your question specifically from the Midwest to the South, the biggest thing that stands out to me is the difference between um, racism and natural and just discrimination. So I can think of, I was trying to remember when I felt marginalized in Detroit and I felt marginalized, but it wasn't because of a system. I think my older self now sees the way the system played into this, but um, there wasn't power. There was just an ability to, dip, to, to discriminate. So I think about the, the guys who own the corner store, right? Who would say foul things to the black kids or who, you know, would just be rude. It was, it was the one store that if you had to go to Louis to buy something, you could, but my grandma really didn't fuck with him. You know, and my uncles wanted to sort of fight him a little bit. But if you needed to go to the store, he was cool. That feels very different than Confederate flags outside of a gas station in Nashville, right? Or being in an area where you heard there was a noose that was, that was you know, display in a particular fashion. So the, the, the way cultures collided felt much more on an individual level in the Midwest, where it felt deeply embedded in the fabric of the community here in the South. So that was probably the biggest thing. And then second, um, there was a church on every corner. Now, Detroit, very much Black churches, you think of all these big Black gospel, you know, stars, artists, and a lot of them have roots in Detroit. Um, but the proximity, I think at that time when, when I got to Nashville, I remember someone saying that we have more churches per capita than any other city in, in the country. In Nashville? At that, at that particular moment. Yes. Hold on. So that to me was odd. It was very odd the way people led with their religion. And I mean, led in all the ways. I mean, lead metaphorically, like this is how I show up in a space, but then um, also, you know, figuratively, like, and literally, like, this is how, this is what matters, right? Religion mattered in the South in a very different way. And that was difficult for me to conceptualize. And my first, one of my first real jobs, I was working as a community organizer and it was jarring for me to have folks ask me um, what church I went to. As a matter of fact, perfect example. Perfect example. Um, My, the summer between um, my two years in graduate school, I worked as a community organizer with a labor union that was based in Chicago. So I went home to Indianapolis. We had an office in Indianapolis, we had an office in Chicago, and I spent my summer split between Chicago and Indianapolis organizing hotel union workers. Amazing experience. My gosh, I was out there in these streets, but amazing experience. And then fast forward just two years, I'm working at the Oasis Center as um, you know, a youth engagement coordinator. And part of my work required for me to do organizing in the same fashion that I was doing um, in the Midwest, but just with a different population. Now I'm thinking about youth violence prevention and the, even the way I could ask questions felt so different. And it, it wasn't the difference that's a, that is specific to a awareness of a physical place. 
right? It's not like, do you know West side from North side and like who's usually on the West side or who's on the North side or where different people or different communities pop or congregate or populated, right? It was legitimately the approach. It was expecting individuals to ask me about my church home and my answer to matter, right? Yeah. To really inform whether they continue to have a conversation with me or not, which ultimately determined whether I was able to build an ally in that space. So the, the, the way people led with religion here blew my mind. I can remember times where people asked me what church I went to before they asked me my name, which is, it's weird for a child who comes from California because I wasn't raised in any church. Um, I guess um, technically by birth, I'm Catholic because all of the women in my family are, but I didn't go through catech you know, I, I I didn't go through any catechism. We went to Catholic church up until my mama decided she wanted to go to a different church. And that was that my, my grandmother went to church very often, all of that, but I wasn't raised in a church. I, I read the Bible as stories, you know, it really wasn't attached to any religion or specific spirituality. So coming down here as a child, you know, 13, 14, being asked what church I go to was a little disorienting at first because my um my my thought <laughs> was what about who I am was was the first thought second um it was this bet like it's disorienting because I'm thinking about myself and then at the same time my response of like what you mean is seen as impolite you know and so it's when you say it mattered um when I started working at the Oasis Center and they were talking about doing certain outreach things in churches, I was like, I can't go to a church. Because for me, I, I respect people's beliefs in their churches. I'm not going to go into it. And I've said this when it comes to finding space for walk programs. I know who I am and I don't want to censor myself, you know, in certain spaces. I also don't want to fake the fuck. I'm not going to be in a church trying to speak the language I don't speak. Um, I can't I don't I don't speak Baptist very well and so when they 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 hire black people because they think we all speak the same language here and so they want to send you to a black church when I don't know shit about a black church you know there I could think of one black church in Oakland it's the Allen Temple that's it you know the church that my grandmother went to the Catholic church was pretty black and I can't tell you what the name of that church was I can't tell you the name of any other church I've ever been to in California okay that's how like compared like when you introduce yourself we don't really lead with religion like that um so i i remember coming here and being seen as impolite i also remember as a you know i guess education is a little different in california because there are certain math classes that i had taken as eighth grader that you know ninth graders take here and so when my guidance counselor put me in this class and i was like i've already been in that class she said well you can just take it again i was like no i cannot you know, so the way that I advocated for myself was seen as impolite because, you know, they weren't expecting that. Um, they also expected a, a, a yes sir, yes ma'am that I wasn't raised doing. And it was, it was really, it was really different to, to have that experience to be like, well, I'm just, I'm just being who I am and it's not, it's not right, you know? So that was my experience with that. With something else you said, trying to go backwards in my brain like we do on Marco Polo. <laughs> um, what's the first thing you said? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Um, but, you know, 
police be pulling over black people I mean, and abusing it's, them. It's the same way they disrupt our cycle of socialization when they only show us white baby dolls and tell us that's what beauty looks like. So flat out, flat out. Or when they say that Jesus is white. Speaking of Jesus, so one of the things I thought of as <laughs> You were talking about religion. Um, again, I've really been trying to assess with myself why this visit was so meaningful and then in relation to all the things Erica, right? And as we're mapping our journey around this country, um, I recognize for myself that my... What, what were the words that I came up with earlier? Um, I was, I was heavily involved in ministry. Those are actually true words. I was heavily involved in ministry. I never considered myself a religious person. Um, even when I was practicing Christianity, I never called myself a Christian. And it was not from a place of wanting to disassociate myself with the religion but it was honestly to clarify for, for my being what I believed in. And actually, ironically, the reason I never called myself a Christian was because what it meant for everybody else. If I was in a space as an organizer and I referred to myself as a Christian, that meant something very specific to Christians and something very specific for non-Christians. Um, I have taught classes, ballet classes, for little girls and particularly those who are of the Muslim faith and leading with that with that Christianity meant different for people in places right and so I think that was the first acknowledgement for me was seeing how people reacted and then I went oh it means something right like it has to it people are associating a value not just an association to put you in this but they are associated there is a value associated in this place one way or the other with that term Christianity, and I didn't like it. That never felt good to me. Even when I was a, 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 a very committed follower of Christ. Um, and that's, that's actually what I prefer to use, that I'm a follower of Christ. I am someone who believes in the teaching of Christ, and that's what I practice. And in true Erica fashion, I did it all. I taught classes at the church. I was in the young adult ministry. I, I started, I was one of the founding members of the young adult dance ministry. Because and you can't I, just do a thing. You have to do all the things. All the things. And black churches are organizations. And what we know to be true is organizations exploit black women. So let's be mm -hmm. very honest too about how all of this transpired. This was not just Erica is great at a thing and she wants to overcommit. It is also the labor that we assign to black women in spaces. So just throwing that out there too. And I said yes to it. Um, it was also my first rodeo at starting a business. I actually launched a community-wide um, creative arts ministry. We did dance and mime and dramatic arts as ministry. And what I realized for myself is, which was also part of why I decided to move away from it, is I was finding community in that. And my community and my need for community still looks very different than other people's community and need for community, which is why I think religion has such a, such a deep, such, has such deep roots in the South. I find that here in Nashville specifically and in you know, other areas of the South, we build community around our religious institutions. And so when we think about where do we have a place, 
and where do we find belonging? It is within the one with the association of a particular church body or a church home, but then it is also physically within that actual space, right? And then we create our little sub-communities. You have the choir clique, you have the, you know, deacons, you have the deacon. And so it, it emulates how we, our needs in a social way as well. And unfortunately for me, or maybe it just is what it is, I also recognize that that wasn't the type of community I need, I was desiring, but that I was, it was a placeholder in a lot of ways. Not the the teachings of it, but the community aspect of it was a placeholder for a bigger need in my life, which goes back to my affinity for the D, right? See all that comes back together. Thank you for naming that too, because I'm, sitting here thinking about like what are the ways in which I find community when I seek it out and very specifically when I seek it out because your girl is a real introvert <laughs> but in the absence of a church I'm, I'm thinking about the times when I sought out being a member of a group and really I want to say it wasn't a thing in California because you know growing up it was just always me and my mother and then when we she had more kids it was us you know but it never and we went and visited people but it was never like our community didn't really we didn't have a full house at my house growing up like I could go to big mama's house and that's when I got the multi-generational home but when I'm thinking about all of the communities I belong to or join they all happened in the south so from any sport in high school flag court and all of that sorority stuff all of that I learned when I got here and I think it was because if you ain't gonna go to church you can go to some kind of gathering on Wednesdays <laughs> it's either you're gonna be in practice or, or you're gonna be in somebody's Bible study so that is I, I never considered where I found community instead of church here that is also very much in a cold move I'm not going to fool with these people's church on a Wednesday. And I also am really tired of people asking me about it. So what can I do? <laughs> well, no, I mean, cause I never, that doesn't really solve the problem or answer the question. What church do you go to? I think that, um, I got, I started to find a little bit of, I mean, it got interesting to see people's response to me saying, I don't go to church. That's a Nicole response, you know? So instead of, trying to come up with an answer or um, talking about all the other things I do instead, it was, I don't go. <laughs> How do you feel about that? You know, <laughs> it, that's what it turned into. Because for me, um, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't really be a member of that community because I don't, like, again, I don't speak the language really. And the questions I ask are not, you know, I guess I, I would be agnostic. I, I don't know. The questions I ask didn't make people comfortable either. So it's like, I can't go be in your Bible study because the questions I'm asking about the Bible, you don't want to answer for me. You know, that's, that's what I ran into. So it wasn't like I could just do what my dad wanted me to do and go be, you know, in all the groups at the Church of Christ. Like that just wasn't going to work um, because of being raised to ask questions and assert myself and advocate for what I think and what I believe so it just as a community space didn't work for me because I couldn't I couldn't tuck the rest of my identity in 
Mm. So I could be very Southern when it came to this marching band stuff. You know, I really enjoyed dance and I enjoyed the way the music sounded. You know, I wanted to be in my sorority so I could be in that community. But the, the church piece was never really part of my identity at all. And it didn't change when I came to this place. One of the things I, I, I have, um, one of the pieces of information I've acquired over time is that a lot of folks, especially in the South, and this may be true of the North, but admittedly, I was, my family did not go to church regularly. So I started going to church when I was 16 by myself. Um, it wasn't until I came to college that my mother and aunts, my family actually started to go to church more regularly. And so that was an interesting... Carmel just got, I knew she was going to come home. She just got home. Um, I don't want to forget what I was just saying, though, because it was about to be good. Keep saying, I mean, we can, listen, we got dogs, we got kids. I heard me outside. And I was like, Ugh. Yeah, don't cringe when you hear it, you know. We we recorded our house we in, in a pandemic, y'all, so. So my, my mother and aunts did not start going to church until after I went to college. So I missed those formative years in relation to religion. I don't know what that looked like. However, what I noticed, especially from a sorority perspective, and then when you become like a hiring manager in different positions, is that especially, I will say, individuals who grew up south of the Mason-Dixon line, their leadership skills were developed and or um, facilitated by positions in the church and networks within church denominations for instance i have a number of friends who are ame i do think there's a larger um uh, what am i trying to say there's a disproportionate number uh there the ame churches here in the south uh, and so i have a number of friends right who grew up in the ame church and the ame church has a major focus on youth leadership development they have an entire pipeline of development for their young people and that was made very clear by the ways the individuals in my world would talk about how they develop certain skills where they demonstrate certain behavior even on an application, right, or in an interview, or just in conversation about, again, where you had community. Yeah. I, and so now here again, I'm thinking about where I develop my leadership skills. <laughs> like, I guess, I don't know. I don't know, because I don't think that I developed those skills here. I think like the messaging I always got from my mother was nobody else is going to do it. So you have to, or you have to, you know, you have to get done what's supposed to be done. So like with the advocating for school or making sure that I'm in the right classes and all that, nobody else is going to do that for me. And so when it came time to lead things, um, I realized that in order to get things done, I had to learn how to delegate. I had to learn how to help other people facilitate you know, what needed to happen to get to the common goal. So when you say that a lot of people here got their leadership skills from church, it's evident. But I don't know if that's like what I'm associating with that right now. Yeah. 
And, you know, in true, like, let me be fair, I think people get leadership skills from many different places. I will say what people will put on a resume and or lead with or talk about, um, here it is, when they talk about things that has, have impacted or informed, right, how they see the world, how to navigate or what they consider to be strengths, the foundation of that came from church in some way, shape or form. You've given me all the words right now. So nothing. I didn't think about church this deeply ever. <laughs> I have a whole life. You did. You lived a whole life in the church. Honestly, yeah. See um original Erica choreography um through uh, lots of platforms, but Harold's Creative Ministries is still an amazing ministry. Um it was great. And so I like if folks have ministries that they are interested in, I would love to learn more. Kairos with the K, Creative with the K Ministries. Can I ask you a question? Where's home? So that's a tricky question for me. Um, because uh, like my gut is saying that home is Oakland, California and always will be, but I never want to live there again. You know, I don't feel a sense, like, I don't ever need to go back in a sense. I don't need to return home. Like, that's when I think about um, where my roots are, um, they don't feel as strong in California, even though, a, like, a whole branch of my family is there. My mama is there, you know. It doesn't really feel like my place anymore, but... I feel like I'm, that's always going to be home. Like I'm, despite all of the changes, the way the Big Mama neighborhood looks completely different, the way that every place is completely white now or opposite of what it was when I was growing up, it, it's still, like we were just there and every place we went, I was like, oh, I remember. And this is how I felt when, and oh my gosh, look at this. Like it still feels like home, but it doesn't feel like the place I'm supposed to be. Um, and also, on top of that, my feelings about home are like it's. I'm not saying we moved around a lot. We didn't move around a whole lot, um, but we went from California to Las Vegas, New Mexico in sixth grade, back to California, down to Nashville, and then I went back to California for some college, and I came back here, and then I went to St. Louis. Like home for me is wherever I'm gonna make it, um, and really man over the last few years I've been thinking like home as a place that can't be taken from me like just the layers of what home is has changed over the years so it's a complicated question (laughs) it shouldn't be that complicated um but in terms of where I feel the most comfortable home is is you know wherever I live at the time is is going I'm going to make it my home and I, I was just Actually, I was talking about this the other day. Um, I'm going to, if, if I move to a new city, I'm going to make it my business to learn everything I can about the city. You know, so in when I lived in St. Louis, I wanted to know all of the things about Black people in St. Louis. I know all that I can know about Black people in Nashville right now. Um, like, if you, I can give you Black facts about this city, you know, off the top of my head. Same about Oakland. Like, so home is wherever I am and that's you know that's going to change I'm pretty sure um, because it has changed a lot over the years just based on how I move in the world where's home for you and why 
I don't know. That's why I started with you, girl. I was so yeah. curious in that question. For my but you own, so you own a house. You own your own home. And that's kind of where, like, I don't have a desire to own a house. And then that's compounded by the fact that I know I don't want to live in Nashville forever. You know, I don't want to live in Nashville for the duration of a mortgage. Like, that's the real answer. So then it's like, is Nashville my home? I've been here 20 years, though. So... I think about it in relation to who's asking me. So when I am away from Nashville and visiting a city that is not Indianapolis or Detroit, and someone asks me where is home, my default is Nashville because I have a home here, not just a house. I have built a home here. I have a community here. Nashville as a very significant place in my life is important to me. I recognize that these are my chosen relationships. This is my chosen community. Detroit was chosen for me. Indianapolis was chosen for me. TSU, I chose, but like you are forced into this pseudo world and now you have to navigate within this ecosystem. Nashville as a whole, I have intentionally chosen for it to be um, my place of residence. And so for me, that does feel important. if I'm overseas and someone asks where I'm from, Nashville, immediately. Now, when they say, oh, but you don't sound like people I've heard on TV from Nashville, then that is an entry point to a different conversation, which I enjoy having. And in that regard, I say I am from Indianapolis by way of Detroit. So typically, if someone asks me, where are you from? My um, you know, plug and play answer is Indianapolis by way of Detroit. And to break that down, Um, I don't feel as, I don't feel that I've earned the right to say I'm from the D with the amount of sincerity and conviction that individuals who spent all of their formative years there. My girlfriends who graduated from high school in Detroit, you know, who spent their entire adolescence in a city, I think matters. Um, All of my formative years were not in Detroit. And so we moved to Indianapolis when I was 13. And so for me, there was a heavy, strong influence from Detroit. Also, my parents shared custody of us. And so my brother and I literally went to Detroit every other weekend. They followed it to the T. And so I was never really extracted from my community. You know, there was some distance there. But until I hit high school competition age as a dancer, um, I spent half of my time, you know, that was not, when I was not in school, I spent half of my time in Detroit. And I went to high school in Indianapolis. So when I think about those experiences of a teenager, they were not in Detroit. They were absolutely in suburbia, Indianapolis, or me trying to, you know, convince myself that I belong in the hood with other kids, whatever it looked like. And so for me, um, Home means a lot of things, similar to you. If someone asked me, you know, where are your people? I would typically say Indianapolis. That is where my mother is. That is where the home um, also that feels important. That is the home that I can return to. My grandparents are deceased. Um, My dad still lives in that home, but it does not, it, it feels very different, right? Like my grandparents aren't there. It is a male house now. Um, it is not the home that I grew up in. Going to Indianapolis, it is still my childhood home. 
it may look a little different, but it feels like my childhood home. And so that too adds to um, that consideration. And then my last point, um, even on Instagram, on IG and my IG story, it was like, it feels good to be home from a place of return. Detroit felt like a return to a blueprint that I forgot was mine. Mm -hmm. I don't even know if it's any more words necessary there. It genuinely felt like a return to a blueprint that I forgot was mine. There are certain things, even when I meet people, they're like, that Detroit in you is real. And it's not just from a whatever, whatever the negative stereotypes or associations, but you have a particular wiring when you grow up in a certain, you know, community with a certain attitude. And also Detroit just has a, Detroit's culture is just so strong in the most beautifully arrogant, fuck you ways. And the city is so resilient. We lost a quarter of our population in 10 years. Over the course of 10 years, Detroit lost a quarter of its population. And the city is still listed to this day as one of the top cities for black women to like. It, it, it's so resilient. So that's why I'm always going to be able to say that I'm from Oakland, California. <laughs> and why it's always going to come back. It's always going to come up because um, I think that, like you said, when you're from a place like that, like Black Panthers painted my grandmother's house. You know, when you, when you are from a place like that, it's in you. And so it shaped my worldview. Like growing up in California, growing up specifically in Oakland, shaped my worldview. And maybe when I moved to the South and learned more about white people, then, you know, some, some, some things got tweaked and I got some more tools. But my worldview didn't change, you know. The, the way I feel about people and the way that I move and I speak and I operate did not change. And so I feel like, you know, you could say you're from the D. Because I, I mean, when I think about Detroit, and actually, this is a huge blind spot for me. I don't know if I actually sent the message or just typed it, but like, I, being from California, you, it's everywhere else is nowhere, you know? And so I didn't really encounter anything Midwest, literally until Ferguson, like until Mike Brown was murdered. And I like started thinking about it as a real place. The, the Midwest didn't exist. I mean, there was Nelly, but that's TV, you know? Nelly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, we just, we had Nelly in the same that, that was That was it. That was the it. South, the South was outcast and Beverly Hillbillies, you know? Like that's, that was, cause in California, the rest of the country is just not California, you know? So you can't come from a place like that and have that be your starting point and shape the, your worldview that way and it not stay with you. Like being from Detroit and having that resilience in you shapes how you see every other place you've ever been. So um, you from Detroit, girl, you can say it. Um, but I don't know if you noticed it, it's hitting me now as we're saying these words that the whole time we were in California as much as I loved it and it felt nice it did not I, did, I didn't say at any point I'm going back home and my, like I said my mother lives there the home that I can return to is here in Nashville um, it is a house that my grandmother's father built um, and I, I love how you said it's a, a male house because it is very overrun <laughs> with maleness right now. Um, when my grandmother first passed, 
and my dad moved into the house of my brothers, I was having dreams about uh, my grandmother. But so my grandmother, um, she had Alzheimer's and she she passed like I guess as natural causes is what the cause would be when you have Alzheimer's or whatever. But in my dream, um, I, I was I was a private investigator or a detective tasked with finding out who murdered my grandmother. And I in the dream I was kept saying she wasn't murdered though, y'all. She just she just passed away. And everybody was like, okay, yeah, but let's go talk to these witnesses. And then I went to her house and it was a mess. And I was like, so my grandmother's haunting me. She wants me to figure out what this energy is in her house. <laughs> that's the conclusion I came to. But that that's a wild tangent to say that like that home, that house is, that's where I can go back to. And we were there. Like, I just took um, the kids to play because there's a huge yard, something you don't have in California, you know. For just to be out and running and I, like the feeling of knowing that my child is running on grass and a yard that I ran on that her uncles ran on that her papa ran on like all that that generations of her family ran around on this same yard you know were in this house like that makes me feel good and I don't have that in California and as much as you know I have this family and stuff what like the home I can come back to is here. And so if I had to say, like, if that's our, our bar for home, then I guess I have to go ahead and say, I guess I'm from Nashville. What was that? I guess I'm from Nashville. Oh, Maybe. So, so, it's a tough pill for me to swallow. I know, it is. And I'm not going to force it. You can define home however you want to. But in the spirit of return, one of the things that this reminded me of that I'm super excited about is um, my grandfather on my mother's side. So we've been talking about Detroit. That is my dad's side of the family. My mom's is from South Bend, Indiana. And my grandfather would have turned 100 this year. So we are all going back to granddaddy's house the first weekend in August to release 100 balloons. Oh my and gosh. I'm excited about it for all the reasons, yeah. but primarily because I'm going to write a book that's called Things I Learned at Granddaddy's House. And I've been collecting stories about this for years. My favorite cousin and I decided a long time ago, like we were having a conversation. It was like, you remember this? You remember this? You remember this? And it, it wasn't from a like, oh, those were great times, but it was a, damn, like we had a great childhood. And not only did we have a great childhood, but we were because we are nerds analyzing all the things we learn from those experiences before technology and before parents who cared whether you had entertainment or not your ass had to make up games and when you got 20 cousins all under the age of 13 they have to share a space that's not much bigger than like a bedroom your options become sit here and do nothing draw whatever or go outside and make up all the shit and we did. We went outside and we would make up games. We played court. I don't know what was happening in our world where we thought we needed to play court, but we did every time. Play we played court too, girl. I played um, And so anyway, he and I have over the years reminisced often and I've taken uh, copious notes around the various lessons that my family, um, that we were able to learn at Granddaddy's house because it was a whole social experiment. It's interesting. So I, when I went to Big Mama's house, we played outside, but I will say a lot of our time was spent inside. And so when I tell you that 
I feel like I grew up with celebrities or with musicians and stuff. Like we spent a lot of time sitting around listening to music. We spent a lot of time watching TV together. Me and my cousins did. Or like quite literally a game we would play is just let's fight. <laughs> so like it it really the the lessons you learn when you like you said your parents don't care about your entertainment. Like I, we quite literally didn't see my aunt for days, you know, and somehow we ate, somehow we went to sleep when we needed to, you know. Sometimes we had to walk outrageously far because there weren't no cell phones to call somebody to come pick us up, you know. Sometimes we rode our bikes crazy far. Like, um, it's just, it's, it's always so interesting to me to hear how your experiences line up with mine, even though they are completely different and, and, and in completely different places. It's beautiful. Which, you know, I have therapy on Thursday. I'm looking <laughs> I just want to put that out there. So hopefully by the next recording, we'll have some different epiphanies. Oh, girl, mine is next Monday at four. So, well, we may need to reset. Anyway, okay. no, 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 girl, I'm good. Shout out to our therapist. Um, oh, it's our therapist, y'all. You have the same therapist. Um, what it's been reminding me of, and my brother mentioned this, and my brother has one child, and we sat down once, and he was like, man, I feel sad for my son, because he ain't gonna have, you know, the big, now, our family is still very large, but when we say big, my mother's siblings were having five, six children. My mother had two, my brother has one. These numbers just shake out a little different now when you go a little farther down a tree, you know? And um, I think this being in Detroit, realizing that, you know, my grandparents are long gone and that home has transitioned. I think seeing the ice, that's what it is, seeing the isolation of family members and at the same time reminiscing and embracing the lessons and the stories of our life that just looked different right? It just looked different. You had a big mama. I, is your mama going to be a big mama? Are you planning to be a big mama? Like where? Oh, am I planning to be a big mama? Absolutely. Except so, (laughs) um, I was called Coco growing up. Um, it was, uh, Jamila, Denisha, Nicole, and we were called Mimi, Nini, and Coco. So, um then the movie Coco came out I'm going to like my grandkids are going to call me Coco that is that's been decided like I don't I don't know if I'm going to remember that I want my grandkids to call me Coco but that's that's coming one day I'll remember girl I will um so yeah I I wonder but the thing that makes me excited and that actually warms my heart is my chosen village you know I I have a Chloe I have a Chloe I do have a Chloe I have you know a great like I just have this amazing village that actually has brought me a lot of comfort as I am exploring for myself what my relationship possibilities could be um and what 
family means to me, what a nuclear family or not really means for me and what feels important, I am finding more and more comfort in my chosen community. And this is just one more reminder. Yeah, I hear these words. I do still think you have a daughter <laughs> calling out to you from, you know, wherever she is in time saying, um, I'm still here. Don't worry. I'll make my, my debut when I need to. And if she is choosing me, then I already know she is going to make her debut whenever the hell she decides, completely independent of whatever plans I have. And so I'm surrendering to that. Like, I, I know this to be true. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to be, it's not going to be on your schedule, which I can only imagine how uncomfortable that makes you as a Virgo, just in general. But yeah. It so terribly uncomfortable, but I also like aside from my Virgo ness, I have developed just a prostrate in relation to the universe. Like I know that I am railing against that same thing that I am believing and hoping and and, and concede to exist. Right? It's just my brain's wiring that still says no. This ain't how it's supposed to go. And I'm my heart and every other chakra is like, but we know it is. So you lose like six to one. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. So like most of the, the topics we have on the, the conversations we have on this podcast, we could go on and on and on and on and on about this forever. So I think the note I want to leave it on is how, I guess it's twofold, you know, um, because we talk about places for black women a lot. Um, I've already said, you know, full disclosure, as much as I've grown to accept Nashville, this is not my forever place. Um, so <laughs> I'm not even going to ask you what your place is, because I know we don't know. But how do you think, and, you know, as we talk about future generations and becoming future ancestors and everything, and how this branch of the tree, your tree is kind of dwindling because we ain't having all the kids, um, how are we going to keep this community going and how will, how do you think place will impact that? Good question. To combat my um, onset of depression around being single and, you know, not having a person, like my a person, that whatever that that magical unicorn person who is supposed to be all the things. Um, I have often thought about that in relation to legacy. And what I believe to be true, and what I know to be true about myself is there are women in my world who I am deeply connected to, who I have no biological lineage to. And I know that I am named in some of their wheels. I know that some of them have trusted me more than they trust their biological children. I know that if something happened, I would drop all things and make whatever concessions to be there by them, their side, right? And so I'm thinking about my elders who I can say that to be true about. All I can do is hope to be that same elder. That's really it. I wanna be the my mama's Erica to Chloe that, you know, she wants to come and visit when she's in her thirties. Like that she, she, she knows what's happening in my world and that she can come and sit in my garden in her forties, you know? And whenever I transition that she is there and able to share a piece of who I was to her with, with her tree, 
and the other leaves for mine. And so for me, that's enough. That's enough. That is, that is beautiful. And I'm gonna have to write that down when I listen to this again. <laughs> um, because for me, um, when I think about my community isn't necessarily bound by any place, you know, like, I don't know what city you about to be in over the next year, but it probably isn't going to be this one. You know, my my best friend, Michelle don't live here. We haven't lived in the same city in five years. You know, my mom is in California. So when I think about communities and like the experience my daughter will have, it is going to be, you know, I'm going to have to travel to see my Erica or my Michelle or, you know, that that's going to be her reality. And so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not mad at that. You know, I think that, I think she's going to be fulfilled because I picked some real amazing (laughs) sister friends and family, you know? So I'm not, I, I'm, I'm very hopeful that, you know, just, just, whatever whatever this branch does you know i'm pretty sure it's gonna be okay you know i think that i'm not not i think i know i ain't having no more kids out of my own body um but i know that um in the work we do i've touched other kids who won't ever leave us alone you know i know who are grown now so when you talk about being in their 30s and coming to sit in your garden we quite literally have that you know, we have a, our 25-year-old is on our board. You know what I'm saying? So I'm really, community looks different. Place looks different to me, you know, because it, even literally, quite literally, the place I grew up in looks 100% different than, than it did when I was growing up. Um, and I expect it all to change and be something completely different when Chloe has grown. But I know that the spirit of of community will make whatever place she's in and whatever place she has to go to, it'll, it'll be okay. What that reminds me, again, psychosocialization. Boop. I use the example when I'm teaching and I'm, we're talking about generational differences. <clears throat> and I ask the question, um, um, I give the prompt, you know, fill in the blank. I never remember a time before. And for our generation, you know, um, the internet comes up. I mean, there was time early, early, but, you know, as a whole. So we're talking about generational differences, what happens in your formative experience. And the example I use um, for this next, this upcoming generation is my nephew will never remember a time before he could see TT, Erica, and the Wolf Wolf, that's what he used to call my dog, on the cell phone. My nephew is four years old and his entire existence on this earth, in this carnation, he has only known the ability to visibly see whoever he is talking to even if I am literally across the world, right? I was in Thailand for Thanksgiving, um, what was that, two years ago? Yeah, it must have been two years ago because he was old enough to at least know it was me. And his demand was he wanted to see T.T. Erica. And so we video call, right, for Thanksgiving. And so in in my classes, we talk about that in relation to expectations and in, in navigating community. And as you were talking through Chloe's, future of visiting all of her 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 Erica's her Michelle's in these different places is and we are creating a world now that will allow her the opportunity even more freely yeah so that is always an option um I have been much more intentional about spending time with my elders currently 
because I have the physical means to see them, I can actually FaceTime my aunts now, you know, who are well in their 60s. Um, and so that communication gap has been bridged differently. And I have the financial means to physically get to places where they are. And that has also created an avenue of awareness for me of what is important. I want to spend my money and my time and spending time with these women who matter to me and these men who matter to me. Um, again, we get to choose how and where we build community. Well, girl, I think you have chosen quite well, if I do say so myself. Um, I agree. Y'all make me happy. All right. So, um, listeners, y'all be sure to tell us about your hood next time you see us. In the meantime, we're going to take a quick break. As you know, Walk is all about amplifying the visibility and voices of those members of our network that make this work worth doing. That's right. And this week, our show is unofficially brought to you by Jordan Owens. So when we talk about our 25-year-old on our board, um, (laughs) we have known Jordan for a really long time. Like... I feel like if I met her in the middle of high school, you met her before me. Yeah. She was, a, it may have been just a year before. I think she was a sophomore when I met her. So yeah, you think about meeting somebody when you're 15 and then knowing them for the rest of your life. <laughs> and not just knowing them, but like um, we talk about working for the nonprofit and anytime they would talk about success stories, I would always say, you know, none of the success is mine. It all belongs to the students. But Jordan would be one of those success stories because she listened, she did all the things, you know, was in all the programs. She went to college, she graduated, and then she came back. And is, is I don't want to say giving back to us because we're not, I don't think we're to an age where we need her to give us back anything we've given her. But she serves on our board. You know, she guides the things that Walk is doing. Um, and, you know, I'm really grateful for what I can say now as she's an adult, a friendship with her. Um, like, I think one of the greatest lessons in doing any kind of youth work is being able to transition from a service provider <laughs> to just a regular person with these people. So, yeah. Jordan has always put a smile on my face. So Jordan was not directly in one of my pro in my program, but she was adjacent. Her best friend and her boyfriend at the time were both in my program. Yes, so they were. Jordan just sort of came along with the package deal, right? Like it was like this person, this person, this person, and Jordan. Um, and she was actively involved with some other youth programs that ran, you know, adjacent to my, all of us sort of ran very similar circles. But she always brought a smile on my, on my face. Like she was always so warm and genuine. She was just a genuine teenager, even when Jordan was often tagged as a leader, right? Mm-hmm. But even when she did not understand, Jordan would literally just like stop and be like, no, I don't know this. Like there was no, (laughs) there was no trying to like fake my way through it. It was a, no, somebody needs to help me understand it. And what I appreciated most about Jordan was her sincerity in that, but then also her, her, you could see her processing. And even to this day, we will be sitting in, in meetings. I'm like, Jordan, I can see you're thinking about it. And so a simple invitation, which is where I am, 
always so thankful to you, Nicole, for being my co-conspirator in these ways because we invite the same growth that we, we need for ourselves. And I think Jordan is a perfect example of that. She allows us to push her. And she allows us to push her even when we don't have all the answers. Jordan recently took on the task of um, co-piloting, writing a grant um, for us. And she was very honest about, I don't know what I'm doing, but what I know is she is a very capable professional. She works a job and functions fully in, in that capacity and still being willing to not only be a learner in a space, but also um, a leader. Is, is very beautiful. And so she's one of my favorites. And I'm so glad we have her. I'm glad the world has her, but I'm really glad that Walker has her. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm whatever with the world. Uh, I'm glad that she's in my world. Um, <laughs> so if you want to hear more from and about Jordan, check out her collaborator spotlight on our YouTube channel right now. Um, yeah, we are on YouTube. I know. Half the time, I don't know about it either, y'all. Thank y'all for coming back another week. Please leave a review and a rating wherever you're listening right now. You can find us at Workplay Build on all the things and on workplaybuild.org. See you next week. She's Nicole. And I'm Erica. And this is Cool, Calm, Collaborative. <laughs>